Hi, everyone. Uh, this is the Angachi Trust Podcast. This is Kitri, Tasha, and Mandy. And today we are talking about the queen. And no, we're not talking about Beyonce. We're talking about Esther. <laughs> we are talking about Esther. And uh, I, we were going to try to get this into one episode, but I think it's best that we do it in two because, I mean, she's such an influential character and she played such a massive part in her people's um, lives and livelihood from that point in history on that she deserves two episodes. She does. In in my opinion. So that's what we're, we're going to do. So um, Esther, the story starts at around 483 BC in Persia. Yeah, and I think a, a good historical backstory of that is that about 100 years earlier in Jerusalem, that's when um, I think it, if I call history, Cyrus, I think, is the one that um, attacked Jerusalem and exiled the the Jews to Babylonia. And then it, it consequently was captured by the Persians. And so, ironically, a lot of the Jewish, Jewish like artifacts and everything got sent to Persia. So there was a lot of that there. But then there was a bunch of Jews that didn't. Um, go back to their homeland and stayed there. And so I think she was, her and her uncle, or it wasn't her uncle, it was her first cousin. It caught, it, I think there's a lot of like misconception that Mordecai was her uncle, but he was actually her first cousin because she was an orphan and he took her under her wing. And so they basically um, were living um, just in kind of a peaceful situation there. But then in the kingdom, um, King Ahasuerus, or we know him as Xerxes the first two, um, he was living with Queen Vashti. And the funny thing I think about the story is that you have like two really clinical narcissists in this story, which is Xerxes and then um, Haman as well. Who becomes, and Haman was the king's hand. Yeah, he much. was the king's first hand. Yeah, basically. And but so what had happened is that they were having a feast and it was actually like a six month long feast mm -hmm. and so Xerxes was um, basically just flaunting and there's a lot of historical things if I remember correctly about it was like a basically a war party they were kind of getting together with all of the heads of all these other different regions and so that's why it was so long um of a celebration because they were bringing all of these people in and they were kind of just giving them time to get there but it was like this basic six month long drunken fest of um, just parading his pompousness and you know wealth mm -hmm. and all of that stuff uh, because his ultimate goal was to take over the entire everything um, mm -hmm. and so um, so but there was one night at the festival that he decided that he was going to flaunt his wife at the time Queen Vashti's beauty and um, just kind of parade her around and I think that we see so much of this story and it, it I think we all know it from our youth as kind mm -hmm. of being like a fairy tale type of story where she comes in and she becomes the queen and she gets pampered. Yeah, it's totally not. It's totally not. It's totally a story mm -hmm. of like misogynistic like sex slavery in so mm -hmm. many ways. And um, and so and I think if if I could be any relatable like relatable to Vashti and she we know that she refuses we don't know why she refuses I kind of but do. I have an idea <laughs> yeah I think we have um, an idea I have why. an idea so I, I kind of looked there there's a a lot of like speculation there's one theory that says that she was pregnant at the time oh. and that she didn't obviously want to 
you know, go in front of a group of men pregnant. But the biggest one, I, which I think makes more sense, is it was actually against Persian culture for a woman to be in public in front of an all-male audience. It was actually against the law in Persia. So, I mean, Xerxes made a really impulsive, rash, and half-drunken decision, like wanting to show off his wife and everything, but it was actually against Persian culture and law for a woman to be in public around an all-male audience. And so I think maybe she was like, nope, I think he's just drunk. Maybe he'll come to his senses later. But then because Xerxes was so impulsive and, you know, kind of like a narcissist, mm-hmm. um, he just made a rash de- decision. And so when he decided to exile her, also in Persian culture, once a king made a decision, it could not be undone. Permanent, yep. It was permanent. Even if he was drunk, yep. <laughs> um, yep. he couldn't go back and be like, oh, I want to erase that. It was, com- it was you couldn't void that decision. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And don't do stupid stuff when you're drunk. People. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also look at her and like, and I think Mandy, you and I would probably be the same way in this manner and maybe Kitri too, but it's, it's like, you know, it's almost a little bit of like pride. You know, you've done, you have all of these females that you're also entertaining and I am your queen and you want me to get all dressed up and parade around in front of your, your buddies just to show you off. And I probably would have been like, yeah, nah, you know, well, but they were all, they were all drunk. I mean, yeah. it's a massively dangerous situation for Absolutely. a woman to be in now, let alone back when it was 483 BC, yeah. you know, but her mistake that I mean, that was her mistake. And we know scripturally that he gathered his advisors around and was like, what do I do? And she not only made a mistake in that time as a wife denying her husband, but she also um, made the mistake of being a woman denying a man and then also a subject denying a sovereign order as well. Mm-hmm. So she was pretty much just screwed from the get go, I think. And she was known to be very... Um I would say more outspoken for a woman of the day, which mm-hmm. um, women were not allowed to be back right. then nope. at all. Nope. And women were a min- minority. Absolute minority for sure. So yeah, they, the advisors said, you get rid of her or else all the other women are going to start rising up against their husbands. And, you know, so they, they did. And then he basically had a, um, it was kind of a, it's a decree. It was a decree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That he, they had to go out and search. And, you know, for you guys that don't know the size of Persia at the time, it was just a little bit smaller than the United States. And so they basically sent all these people all over this mass, um, just range to go in and essentially kidnap yeah um yeah the women is yeah but before that there was the decree that he also put was that women have to obey their husbands mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. was reading that again last night with that like <laughs> mm-hmm. that nowadays as a, a government putting that out there which yes i believe that you absolutely should go biblical with your you know um marriage and things like that but the way that it was, uh, the way that I read it potentially mm-hmm. has, you know, his ego was bruised. Yeah, and he that's didn't exactly. like it. I was like, yeah. there, there's, yeah. a, there's something the he, way that it was, <laughs> the way that I read it, and went, yeah. oh, he made the huge oh. like, I mean, pride downfall that has oh, yeah. like completely like it's messed up so many people because of their pride in the Bible, and yeah, so they they sent everybody out. And they went and basically the people who he sent out got to go into all the homes across all this land. And they were like, yeah, you're like a seven. I'll take you. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know? And they had and, to be virgin women. Yeah, virgin and women. The, the Jews were heavy, heavy in this area, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, they were exiled, but they had kind of found solace yep. in, in Persia. So a lot of the women um, were Jews. I mean, and that's where we get Esther. And her name was actually Hadassah. Hadassah. And in, in they changed Jew, it when she was pulled. Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah, in, in Hebrew. Hebrew. Sorry, in, in Hebrew. In Hebrew. <laughs> I meant I meant to say Jewish culture, but it just you know whatever. We're not editing that out. I meant Hebrew. So, yeah. but because yeah. but her Persian name was Esther. So yeah. Um. So, but when she was taken, her cousin Mordecai and her decided yeah. it was best for them to conceal that she was a Jew mm-hmm. in that time. Um. Just you know, just to not bring any unwanted attention mm-hmm. to her because there were still people that lived within the the Persian culture that hated Jews and Haman was mm-hmm. one of them and he was an Agagite and so there mm-hmm. was a there's a long history long history of hatred yep. there. Um. But you know, um, we were kind of talking about the movie The One Night with the King and it's a great great movie but the one thing I never realized was um, you know in the movie their one night with the king it was like a date night that's not Mm -hmm. what it was what their one night with the king was is he called on them he would sleep with them and then if he didn't like them he Mm -hmm. would throw them out and like I said earlier, they a lot of them were virgins and a lot of them were Jews. And in Jewish culture, if you were wed on your wedding night, it was customary to be inspected mm-hmm. by a priest to ensure that they were a virgin. And if she was not a virgin on her wedding night, by law, she could be stoned to death. And so a lot of these women were probably, he took, King Xerxes took their virginity. And obviously, they were not chosen queen because we know Esther was, but they were cast aside. And so they either were completely exiled from their Jewish culture, they could never be married mm-hmm. because they could be stoned to death, or if they found out they just weren't a virgin at all, they could just be stoned mm-hmm. to death. So it was a very massively scary situation mm-hmm. if you were a Jewish woman pulled for the king's sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it's completely... Um, ruined women for their, I mean, for their basically the whole their whole life um, because of that. But you know, I think one thing that we also failed to recognize is that it affected specific men in general because they had to take. I think it was like I read one time like 500 men a year and make them eunuchs mm-hmm. because they were in charge of these women and they had to be eunuchs because there couldn't be any contention with the king or anything like that. But they so so it also affected about 500 men a year that they completely just like destroyed their manlyhood. Hashtag ego problem. Yeah, the king absolutely. had a big yeah. ego problem. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yes. They went and took Esther. And it wasn't just a, we we read in the we read in the text that it's a um, you know she gets pampered she gets um, daily yeah beauty treatments the daily and it was about a year in their custom that they would they would give her all these ritualistic beauty treatments for like a year before she could even go before the the king but she found favor with a hey guy mm-hmm. which was her like the, the lead eunuch and he really favored her I think. And um, so, but she got these beauty treatments and whatnot, and um, and then she had her one night with the king and found favor with him and became the queen. And then we see her cousin Mordecai come kind of back into the picture because he's very protective of her, and he he overheard him yeah. in a, the assassination plot, and in the courtyard, and so he sent a message to Esther, and she told the king about it, but gave credit to to Mordecai Mm -hmm. and because they were plotting to kill the king so he he um 
made note of that, which we see later in the in the notes and stuff, because basically what happens after that is that we see narcissist number two when Haman start take root in all of this. And he starts making all of these um, plans and stuff using the king's name. And this tells you, I think one thing that always stood out to me is how um, ignorant and like not caring the king was because like Haman would make all of these you know, like plans using the king's name, and the king had no idea about it. Well, and, and Xerxes, I, I can't pronounce his original name, so I just say Xerxes. Xerxes. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, I had to, but no. Um, but he gave Haman his signet ring, which mm-hmm. is as good as a king's order. Yeah. So whenever Haman made an order, he put the king's signet ring on it. And so, and once again, like we had said, it was Persian culture that once the king made a law, and even Haman acting with the signet ring, it was as good as the king made a law it could not be undone and yeah. so Haman got a little too big for his britches but mm-hmm. I want to kind of go back to Esther a little bit and just kind of like maybe th- talk about like how she was feeling mm-hmm. this entire thing I mean yeah. she's a Jew she was an orphan mm-hmm. and she was a woman so three things were working against her she was really low she was very yeah. very low yeah. and um back in biblical times you had two quote-unquote social economic status you had the very very poor and then you had the very very rich and there was no middle class and so when they went out and they took women they were most likely poor women and then they were being taken from their homes their parents and everything i'm just wondering how she didn't lose her mind Mm -hmm. when when that all happened and i think it's the the first thing is because she had a heart for the lord Mm -hmm. and Another thing that's interesting to point out, God is not mentioned once in the nope. book of Esther. Nope. Like he, in all the other books, Jesus is either talking or God goes to Moses or God goes, you know, and he's speaking to, but in the book of Esther, he does not come in and verbalize anything, mm-hmm. but we know he's there in the background, obviously. But I just thought that that was a really interesting thing is that he doesn't quote unquote show up. And they don't even mention the word prayer in, in Esther either. Like she asks, and we'll probably in the next episode get towards the end of that, but she asks, she has to fast. And, you know, mm-hmm. normally we associate prayer and fasting, but she was like, you know, I'm going to fast for three days. And I think it's just interesting. I don't think we really know, correct me if I'm wrong, who wrote Esther per se. I don't think we do now. Um, I could look it up. <laughs> I, I, I know that there was some speculation that it could even have been Mordecai or it could have been, but anyways, but she, but I think they deliberately leave God and prayer and any indication of that out because I think that it's a great, um, it's a great true story for like secularists to see that God is sovereign and every situation especially with the jews and even it's i think a really big thing to note that even when you can't hear him he's still working Mm -hmm. things you know he's still with us and he still has a plan just because we might not be able to see him like interject or hear him audibly he's Mm -hmm. still moving through everything and yeah mordecai is it's um tradition has you know said that mordecai has written the core book of ezra Another interesting thing, too, with that is that, you know, we talk about them being pulled out of their Jewish culture um, and so much of that. And, Mandy, you probably are really good about knowing this because you've been to Israel and whatnot about the kosher stuff. So she's 
she is probably on a kosher diet until she gets kidnapped and then has to go into this kingdom, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, I would assume. And then there's the Jewish feasts and things, mm-hmm. which I would assume this the king is not abiding by. And that is close to their heart for mm-hmm. sure. And if they're there for over a year just to get, you know, pampered and things before they get there one night, there's a lot of things that she's not able to do or she has to do in quite in major secrecy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. that's, there, there's a lot mm-hmm. of Jewish culture that is. And is, I think it's interesting because we just, I, when we were talking about doing this, I, I, I didn't, maybe you guys made the correlation, but we, we just had Purim. Um, Perm. And so that just happened last week, I think, mm-hmm. which is totally all about this. You know, this is where Purim comes from, um, is the thoughts that were cast. And it's they actually do it as a celebration now. And, you know, as far as their deliverance. You rattle the, like, the noisy toys as a way to get rid of um, Haggai. Hey, uh, Heyman. Heyman, thank yeah. you. Yeah, hey, guy was the chief unit. It's okay. <laughs> My brain is gone today. Heyman, so you rattle those, and then there's certain foods, and it's been a while since I have celebrated it. There, I used to be a part of um, a church that we, as believers, we recognized all the feasts, and so that was something for years that I did, but it has been so many years that mm-hmm. I was like, I should have looked that up before um, to remember what all the extra dif- different things mm-hmm. was. But I remember the noisy toys and yeah. and whatnot. I, I love that. I love that they celebrate that because so much of this book is a, is like a role reversal, or not a role reversal, but like a, a situational reversal. Um, and so, you know, you see that they were supposed to all be executed, and now there's the celebration of deliverance and whatnot. And I love to see just pictures of the little girls dressing up like Esther and things like that at this this celebration. So, yeah. Um, but I, I think that just characteristically Esther was so she's one of my personal favorites just because you have to think everything that she went through because it's just like you said Kitri she was an orphan she was kidnapped she was made to be a sex slave she was you know and and we know that she um it took like a year for that and then all of the like the climax of the story takes place about five years into her reign but there's a verse in the by in in esther and i can't remember which one it is but she's it's saying how and then the the search for the virgins went out a second time and this is after she's queen and so the king's like sending this decree out to go go find me some more women you know and like how would that make you feel as as well to know that yes you're in this place but now all of a sudden you're also being degraded because you know that your husband who probably never loved her because we find that you know narcissists have a hard time actually f- being capable of that but um you know to just all of these emotional things that she mm-hmm. would have to go through but it does say that she found great favor with him she did find yeah so I, I feel like i mean he might not have loved her but he at least i think at one point came to mm-hmm. respect her um but but she knew her place with him. She did because and that's how you have to play those people is because you have to make and that's why when she goes to him in the in the feast and you know kind of because we get along in the story a little bit more but she doesn't ever tell him to do anything. She's always like if it pleases you, if it's your favor, if I have found favor with you, because she knows that she has to let it basically be his idea. Uh-huh. And 
And that's hard emotionally and as well. So she's really just had to go through so much um, with this. Yeah. And one thing I, I really wanted to point out, a lot of people have um, not condemned Esther, but almost, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not condemned, but like judged her for concealing that she was a Jew. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, you, you should be proud of your heritage and of your religion. And if that's what you believe, you should. But there are times where it's not prevalent or wise to do that. And I think she did a she it was wise of her and Mordecai to decide to conceal that because I think if maybe they found out she was a Jew earlier and Haman hated Jews so much it would not have played out the way it played out and we see the most popular verse in Esther that people quote all the time and it's in 414 and it's we we hear it all you know as um, perhaps you're made for such a time as this and this comes at a time after which we're kind of skipping ahead just a little bit but um, you know she she is getting word from Mordecai that some stuff's going to happen and we'll backtrack to that but she kind of balks a little bit and he basically tells her this is your time you know perhaps you were made you were put in this place for such a time as this and then I think it's a couple verses later in in uh 416 and she's basically you know she's she's this is like probably my favorite verse because she's at, at the end she's like fine if I perish I perish you know it's like ride or die time for her she's like fine let's go if I die I die and that to me tells me so much about her character because she's probably had a little bit of nudging from the Lord, even though he's not mentioned in here, you obviously have to think mm-hmm. that she had some sort of relationship with him. And God quiets us sometimes. We get those nudgings, like mm-hmm. in just saying, be still, don't say anything just yet. And so potentially, you know, that was something that she felt in her heart. And then at this time, you know, she just felt that push and she was like, all right, Lord, let's go. If I, if I, if I die, I die. Yep. And she, she, probably was like, well, I'm, I might die either way anyways. Mm-hmm. If she goes before the king in a public setting mm-hmm. among men, she could mm-hmm. be exiled or killed. And if she did nothing, she would have been killed. Yeah. You know, by, by the, the decree. But so let's go so, back yeah. and kind of um, <laughs> talk about just, what why? brought it, what <laughs> brought it there. So um, Haman was promoted, you know, t- obviously to, you know, the hand of the king. Um, and he was kind of parading himself mm-hmm. through the streets, I think. Um, he kind of thought of himself as king. Like, he's, you know, <laughs> I think he thought if something happens to the king, he was obviously the choice. Yeah, he was like vice president. Yeah, basically. I'm so American. I'm so sorry. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, like this I have to going. put it back in my brain on like how I can remember it. But like, yeah, like if he dies, he would have been mm-hmm. the one to, to um, you know, be king. Um <laughs> So anyways, um, he was kind of going along and then he, he came across Mordecai and he, Haman was like telling everyone, you need to bow to me, bow to me. And Mordecai's like, no, um, yeah. you're dumb. I'm not going to do that. And of course, another man with a big ego got it bruised because one person mm-hmm. wouldn't bow down to him. He got all angry. <laughs> but, but kudos to Mordecai because mm-hmm. again, even though it doesn't say Lord, I guarantee he was like, I, I only bow down to the Lord. I don't bow down before mm-hmm. you. I only bow down to the Lord. Well, and like sometimes they, you know, they would, you know, it's just like a form of respect. But um, I think Mordecai knew Haman was an Agagite mm-hmm. and they, you know, they knew that there was that, that tension and 
Agagites or um, yeah, Agagites hated yeah. Jews, and, and Mordecai's like, I'm not going to bow to somebody who would kill me in an instant. And historically, Agagites had a immense hatred for the Jews, and they tried to um, annihilate them hundreds of years beforehand. And um, Haman was actually of royal lineage from mm-hmm. that, and so I think it was just ingrained in him from the get-go to absolutely yeah. hate. But the thing too that's interesting is that Esther was of royal lineage too, and she never she goes all the way back to King Saul, like she mm-hmm. she's a descendant of King Saul, and she hid that as well. So I think that was probably wise on her behalf to hide her royalty mm-hmm. status and her Jewish status. When Haman hated the fact that. Jews saw God as the final and only authority, and so when he had a little bit of authority and they, he, they, he, you know, Mordecai wouldn't give it to him, he got all mad. Mm-hmm. And so then he, what did he do for one Jew that didn't bow down to him? He he signed a decree with the king's seal. Mm-hmm saying on the 13th day of the 12th month that all of the Jews could be killed in the streets. Mm-hmm. Ego problem. Yeah. No, and, <laughs> you it, know? It, it totally is. And, you know, the thing, this goes back to the king's um, ignorance, I think, because, because after this, he, he goes and he basically gets, he, I think it says he fills the Lord, or fills, fills, um, Xerxes cup full of wine or something. So he basically gets him drunk and angry. And, <laughs> so that he can get what he wants. Yeah, so he can get what he wants. And he starts telling, but he doesn't say what what people. He just says there's a group of people that that need to be executed, the whole of them. And Xerxes is like, do it. Don't care. Give me more wine, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, and the reason why I say that I know he didn't is because later on, he um, he calls Mordecai Mordecai the Jew, and so he knows that Mordecai is a Jew, mm-hmm. and so, but yeah, so he gets the king all riled up and saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna kill," it. and the king's like, "Let's do it," and then word gets to Mordecai that this is gonna happen, and he tries to get a hold of Esther, but she's kind of like. Um, not accessible at this point and so he gets tattered and he gets to where he's like in rags and Esther which gets is also hard. Jewish Jewish right. culture when they were grieving they would um, mm-hmm. openly in public tear. tear their clothes rub dirt on their faces mm-hmm. and it was an outward sign of I am mm-hmm. I am grieving yeah and she gets word of this and she tries to send him new clothes because she, I don't know maybe she's thinking you know hey cuz you're making a fool of yourself I don't mm-hmm. know and he sends them back with a message with you mm-hmm. know the person and he tells her and she says because you had said it earlier the decree like they, they couldn't go before the king no. if yeah without being no. asked or it could be a death sentence mm-hmm. or he would have and, and it was also customary that the king um if you know he, he could save them by extending his golden scepter mm-hmm. of, of kingship mm-hmm. to that person um but yeah, so but Haman pretty much yeah just filled the king's head with these people don't don't take you seriously. Mm-hmm. They don't obey your laws. You know he was filling them with with a bunch of lies and a bunch of wine. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I also feel like that's a really big lesson to it's important to know who's in your circle, mm-hmm. who is you know pitter pattering in your ear, lies, who's trying to tear you down persuade you in bad directions we need to make sure that like we look at who's in our circle and who is for us or who's against us because if Haman had 
the opportunity to overthrow the king, I 100% believe he would have. And he just let that power and money get to his head and he decided to overstep his bounds. So, and he was the the hand of the king. Yeah, and and the king like essentially gave him like 60% of his income to like do away with these people basically. And so I don't think that, I think that he was in a good position. Like he was like, I'm not King, but I might as well be because you know, I'm getting away with everything I want to do as King. And, and so when Esther gets that word, um, she sends this, this, you know, message back to Mordecai and this again, you know, she says, I haven't been in the King's presence for a month. So that again tells you um, he's probably getting, you know, some loving elsewhere. And she's probably feeling a little like, <laughs> sorry, I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, and it's, it's, it's true. I mean, he had multiple concubines and that was, that was completely yeah. normal back then. And if he, if he wanted Esther, he'd call for her. And yep. if not, she couldn't go see him. If yep. she wanted to see her husband, tough. If he didn't call you, mm-hmm. you're, yep. you're just kind of meh. Yeah. You're stuck. And I think Mordecai was rightly very frustrated with her because of his response to her when she said that. And this is where it comes in, I think, in 414, because he's like, you know what? You cannot say anything at all, and you're going to go ahead and perish, but these are God's people, and you best believe that the Jews are going to prevail in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So you might as well try because you're probably going to die anyways. Yeah, he says, it says in uh, verse 413, Mordecai told them to answer Esther. So they they weren't even having a face-to-face conversation. It was a maid to him and Mm -hmm. him to, you know, whatever. And he says, um, do not think that your heart will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But mm-hmm. you and your father's house yep. will perish. And that's where it goes into, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Right. He was telling her, you can stay silent. God can use somebody else, but you will still die. Yep. And what's 15 and 16? 15 says, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Sushan and fast for me. Neither eat which nor drink. Susa, which is Persia. Yep. Sorry. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maid and I will fast likewise. Mm-hmm. And so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Yep. yep. And so, yeah, she makes that decision. So she, I mean, it's great that they have some form of communication between Mm -hmm. the two of them because he's basically being that dad that she didn't have and saying, listen, girl, you know, this is the way it's going to be. And yeah. Buck up, buttercup. Yep. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And, and so she's like, all right, let's roll. And, and so she calls for uh, the fast um, mm-hmm. for three days and, and then she does, she goes before the King. And can you imagine that walk? Like she's got to get herself all prepared and they're in a council, basically, um, mm-hmm. the King and his men. And she's gets herself completely just, I imagine as beautiful as she can in her best gowns. And she makes that long alone walk down to, to him. And it's like, deep breath let's open the doors and, and she's like i just hope i don't yeah <laughs> she's like my i may have a minute left to live but here mm-hmm. we go you know like yeah. what strength that she has to just to stare death in the face yep either way either way to stare death in in the face yep so and i feel like that 
is where we're going to stop on a cliffhanger on if she lives (laughs) or if she dies. But if you know the story, you know how it ends. But anyways, um, so thank you for joining us and we will see you guys next week for part two. Bye. Bye. Bye.